Entrepreneurs can get stuck in their head. If you dream of changing the world, but you're not sure where to start, the Add Value to Entrepreneurs podcast will help you transform your life and business. This podcast is for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life that they desire. You deserve it, and it is possible. It's time for you to add value. This episode is brought to you by Perfect Publishing. Perfect Publishing is a different approach to publishing a book. Perfect Publishing is sharing a project of hope. We carefully chose heroes of hope who exemplify living a life they created through faith, hope, patience, and persistence. No matter what page you open to in this mini cube of hope, you will find a leader with a big heart. You see you are not alone. The authors may share similar challenges that only hope and action could resolve. Get your free ebook at getadoseofhope.com. Get a dose of hope.com. Just wanted to mention this episode was recorded earlier. And as our audience grows, we just wanted to share some of the value from our earlier episodes. Our guest today is Michelle Moraz. Michelle is a survivor of multiple life challenges, including a traumatic brain injury and breast cancer. She guides others to recognize their innate gifts within them, stop apologizing for what they are not, and step into who they truly are unapologetically. Michelle's driving thought is that every day is a gift. Tomorrow is never promised. Every moment is an opportunity to be the best version of you unapologetically. Michelle Mraz has rewritten the story of her past, finding strength in her intelligence and taking full responsibility for her life. She genuinely cares for others and wants to help everyone she touches find the story inside them and help them release it into the world. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me today. I am so excited for this conversation. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's start with the beginning of your entrepreneurial journey and, and going out on your own as Michelle. <laughs> uh, the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey. I used to work for an auctioneer here in Colorado. And I remember thinking, I'm good at this, but this isn't what I want to do. And I, they're really good friends of mine. So when I told them I want to leave the organization, they're like, no, <laughs> no, you can't leave us. You know, we need you. I'm like, it, it, it's speaking's it, but it's not this kind of speaking. And so when I separated, I said, you know, I'll be a fundraiser. I'll help nonprofits, you know, build their own fundraising campaigns. And so that's what I left originally for. And then political world caught me and said, um, why are you doing that? You should be helping the political world. So I started writing speeches for the political world. And then I was in my car accident in 2014 and erased all of that. Mm. And I had to reset. And the one thing I remembered wanting to do was speak. And then I started sharing my message that I learned from being trapped in my head for two years and not being able to walk or talk. And that catapulted me through my TEDx and then speaking around the world. That's really how that whole speaking thing started. So my entrepreneurial journey started not knowing it was a, the beginning of a journey. Mm. I had no clue. Nice. <laughs> well, so now obviously you survived the terrible car accident, still have you know some issues with the traumatic brain injury, um, but you also survived cancer after that. Yes, I'm actually still in that journey. So 
2014 was my car accident. I started walking and talking again at the end of 2016. Yeah. Yeah. 2016. Then I was diagnosed with cancer October 31st, 2017. Mm. But yes, I'm still in that journey and that's okay because I feel great. It made me uh, aware of the things I wasn't taking care of in my world, in my life, in my body, in my mind. And so it, it made me cherish every day far more than I was before. Mm. Yeah. Certainly, certainly very important. Mm -hmm. So obviously speaking and, and building an audience as a, as a speaker, um, what, what was most effective for, for building your audience or finding your audience maybe? The most effective way of finding an audience is Oh, there's a there's a Toastmaster who says, oh, and I just blanked on his name, stage time, stage time, stage time. <laughs> Basically, that's how you find your audience. No one wants to hire a speaker they haven't heard speak. So if you have a website and it just says speaker and there's nothing of you speaking, you're <laughs> never going to get hired. So what I ended up doing was I spoke at every opportunity, every free event, every storytelling. I just volunteered to do them all. And then when I started getting busy, people were like, oh, can you? And I said, well, actually, I'm taken already to do, oh, how much would it cost to get you to come over to our side? <laughs> and that's when I started getting paid. It was, they knew my calendar was filling up. And then he started paying me to pull me from other events that I had wanted to do. Well, nice. Yeah. Well, and so that's when you start making connections, right? And so how, how have connections helped you in these last four years growing? It's huge. It's, it, I don't advertise. So the only way my business grew was word of mouth. So when people were, I would speak at a place, someone would say, you really need to come speak at my, my event. You know, most of the time we're so busy with our own minds and what we're speaking about, we don't stop. I would stop and say, well, let's connect right now. I have a brain injury. I will forget you as soon as I walk away from you. So we need to connect now. And then I would start a dialogue with them so that when we were done with the event, I would go and I'd look at every person I connected with mm. over that past hour or so. And I would write them personally and say, Hey, you said you wanted me to come to an event. What is that? Now that I'm not there, maybe I, you know, we can, we can connect more. That's how it all happened. So I would meet people. I would take the time to go meet them for coffee or lunch and get to know them. And now they've already heard me speak and they're like, oh, we, we definitely want you at our event. So connection and connecting well. And that's why I always say, you know, if you're going to do anything, be the best version of you and be unapologetic about it. Because I would put my all in every speech I gave, even if there was only five people in the room. I acted like there are 15 million in that room because that's what it is. You give them everything and they're like, oh, my gosh, this is a powerful speaker. I do want her name linked to mine when I bring her to my conference. And so really that's how it is, is connection, 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 not high level connection is what brings you through, especially in the speaking world. Nice. Mm -hmm. So how did you develop confidence? Obviously starting over after not being able to speak or walk or how, how did, how did that um, reemergence. <laughs> That's a really tough question because I don't remember. <laughs> Fair enough. That makes it an easy question. That was an easy one. Well, because that's what happened with my brain injury. I, I really honestly believe with the brain injury, I lost my frontal lobe over my left ear, the back of my head, my two hemispheres disconnected. So those two years I was stuck in my head, I had a lot of inner dialogue 
arguing going on with my my all myselves and, and all those inner critics. And I think what got me out of that was I know what it feels like to be dead. Hmm. And I I wasn't that's far more fearful than stepping out into something else. <laughs> So I stepped out doing what's worse that's going to happen to me. Either I'm going to get trapped in my head again and can't speak for two more years and not walk, or I'm going to keep moving. Well, then I'll just keep moving. And that's really what propels me. And that's why I teach with my, my, my coaching clients and things is what's the worst that's going to happen. Either you're going to be exactly where you are now, or you're going to be steps ahead. Might as well go for the steps ahead. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm Absolutely. Perfect, perfect example of that. Absolutely. Well, and now obviously you've found the value of story and, and, and sharing your story and 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 seeking to help others you know, figure out their story. What why why, are, why is each of our stories? Why do our stories matter? <laughs> From caveman days, you know, they're drawing <laughs> on the wall. Stories are what makes us helps us be be the humans we are. That's how we pass on knowledge. And so, you know, we lost the power of story. And you see kids nowadays and they're complaining about things. And you're like, okay, this has happened before. You know, this is what history is about. History is storytelling and it's telling us what happened. You, you have to remember what happened before so you can recognize it today in its new form so you can address it better. And so when I started telling stories and I'm out on stages and talking to people, I realized there's so many stories that aren't being told. I mean, you cannot tell a story in text. <laughs> and so I wanted to bring those out. And when I meet people with stories, I do, let me help you. Let me help you get your story out because no one experiences anything just to experience it. We all experience it because we're supposed to pass that lesson somewhere, somehow to someone else. So I like to take that veil of, you know, off of people's faces. We are not living in a bubble. We need to take the veil off and be the best versions of us. Share the pain, share the, the glory, share. Because someone out there is looking for that answer you've already found. And that's what storytelling is about. And that's why I like to help people craft their stories. Mm, that's so good. And of course, you, you recognize the, the value of, of practicing telling your story. And, and I know you're a big fan of, of Toastmasters and, and, and driving um, practice, <laughs> practice, 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 practice all the time. And uh, when people say, well, you know, I haven't been on stages. I do. Have you been on a zoom call? <laughs> Hello, you've been on a stage. Have you talked to a, a cashier? Huh? <laughs> yes. You're on stage. Whenever you're talking to someone and other people are around you, hearing you, that's kind of a stage. The world is your stage. Use it and use it well. Mm. So good. Obviously, you, you talked about being the, the best best version of you. Um, so as you're developing your story, how important is is character, your inner character? Well, it's what shines through. Have you ever met someone or heard a speaker and you're like, they're good, but there's something about that. There's just something about them. It's our instinct. Our human instinct can feel when someone's being genuine or not. So yes, you your character will shine through. Um, I've met many, many people from wherever around the world where they go on stage and they're one person and they come off stage and they're not that happy, nice person they were on stage. Ooh. And so you, it's an instant disconnect. So when it comes to speaking, be the best version of you. 
In other words, be you, not the fake you, not the you on stage, not the you you think they're looking for, you. You will never find me in any other state but me. I'm goofy. I'm a little hyper. Uh, <laughs> I'm a little distracted, but that's me. And you will always meet me, no matter where you meet me. And I think I, that's what you I, I can confirm that so far. <laughs> Every encounter, you've been you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't believe in putting on a persona. I just am or I am not. Either I click with you or I don't. And that's okay. You don't have to please everyone and you don't have to speak to everyone. There's one person in that audience that needs to hear you. That's the one person I'm speaking to. The rest of them are bonus. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and 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 obviously being able to be yourself is just so much easier. Right? Mm -hmm. Why would we want to try to spend so much time trying to be someone else? But a lot of people do. A lot of people think because they're doing something, they have to do this or they they're, you know, or they have to be schmoozy. I mean, no, just be you. Just be you. Mm. And connect. So, so good. So so what would you recommend as far as besides being you in, in being able to connect when telling your story? Use your imagination. I have so many people come to me with their stories and they formulated them out. They've written them down and they formulated how they're going to move the stage three steps to the right, bop, bop, bop. You know, I'm like, what do you see? You people standing at me. Uh, sorry. I just went into uh, <laughs> chitty, chitty, bang, bang, you know, where, you know, turning around on a music box that's wound by a key. No, you're not a performer like that. When you're telling your story, and that's why the power of story is your story, and I say be the best version of you, get back into your head, and I want you to see it in your head. I want you to feel it. What did it taste like? What did you smell? What did you see? And go on that stage and share that story watching a movie in your head. Bring people into the story like they are you. And what happens is suddenly they connect with you and do, oh my goodness, I feel this. And this is what happened in my world. And then they start pulling their own stories in. That is what connection is. It's not you telling a story. It's you sharing a story. There's a difference. And you share it from your heart. So stop worrying about all the words that, you know, uh, you need three syllables. No, you don't. Say what comes naturally out of your mouth when you're sharing that story. You will be the best version of you on that stage. And the people who want to connect to that story and connect to you will find you. And then because of that, they will invite you to the other things that they do and the other places they speak. Whenever you're in a room, never think that you're in a vacuum. Hmm. Oh, yeah, I, I'm just talking to the rotary. Yeah, there might be 20 people in that room, but all 20 of them belong to at least four more different types of groups. Be the best version of you. Speak from your heart share from your heart. So good. So one of the things I work with my clients are is to deal with their past story. And, and so many of us have um, a victim mentality for our past story, which impacts our present story. What would you, what would you suggest or, or how would you help somebody change their story or see it in a different light? Actually, I wrote my chapter in, um, Hold my crown about that. Hold my crown. Women of grit share stories of uh, resilience. My chapter is about 
the stories we've told ourselves and how they affect us today. Just what you just said. And what's neat about it is when I look back at my life and these stories I tell myself about, you know, being short, fat and ugly and having no talent and all of these things I was telling myself growing up. Every time I was about to succeed, I pull myself back because I wasn't worthy of it. I look back at all those stories and I realized I never actually heard those words. Mm. I incorporated those words. So think about the story that's holding you back. With me, I, I always thought that I had no talent. And because and, my father would introduce the kids that way. Well, this is Bruce. He's a musical savant. He can play any instrument. Oh, this is Troy. He's, a, he's an athlete. He's the best athlete out there. He can outrun anybody. Oh, this is Yvette. She's so beautiful and stunning. And this is Michelle. She's the smart one. Mm. In my mind, I heard you have no talent because he never compared me with that. Now he never said my name. You are not athletic, so you're you're fat because he never said that with me. And I'm ugly because I'm not Yvette. I'm just smart. When you look at the world in the movies, smart people, yeah, they're the boring ones. It's the pretty, beautiful, athletic people, right, who do everything. So I formulated a story around my life that said I wasn't worthy of anything when actually. No one had said that to me. I said it to me. What stories are you telling yourself that holds you back? So when I, with me also like you, when we go into those stories with our clients, it's where is that root really coming from? Did you actually hear those words or did you actually see this event or did you actually experience this event? Our minds are very crafty mm. and they're very good at creating more and you know, I, I relived all those in my brain injury when I was trapped in my head for two years and I had to reevaluate things when I saw things I do that couldn't have happened. That, that, that doesn't make any sense. I wasn't that short or, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't standing there. How did it happen? How did I see that from that point of view? But I'm here. How could I see that person behind me? You know, start pulling apart the stories that you've told and do what's real and what's been elaborated by my mind. Hmm. And once you're able to start doing that, it's like, wait a minute, there's no way I saw it from that point of view. And then you turn it in your mind, you, oh, that's what I imagined happened. That's what really happened. And once you take control of the different situations you felt out of control in, because it's the out of control ones that make us feel fearful. Once you realize your part in those plays, you do, wait a minute. Okay, I own this. I am no longer a victim. I've got this. I won't let this happen again. And I know what to be aware of for next time. You know, those kind of things. Once you take ownership, you no longer are a victim. Once you are no longer a victim, they don't own you and control you anymore. Power. Power is in knowledge, right? Absolutely. Well, and it, it's so good that, right, recognizing that most of the stories our brain's telling ourselves aren't true. Like your dad said you're smart and your brain said, oh, that's bad. Mm -hmm. right? Versus, versus, you know, your dad saying you're smart and, Oh, thank you, dad. Yeah. Right? And, never a thank you. But there, but there are people that have been victims of terrible, terrible things and, and they can see their story in a different light as yeah. well. And I'm they one of them. Take, they can take control of those, those terrible things and, and choose not to be a victim um, by telling themselves a different story about it. Yes. Um, not blaming themselves, not, you know, not allowing that that terrible, terrible tragedy to. Would you read my book? Them. Um, apparently not yet. No, I'm sorry. I think you have. <laughs> we we come from a same we 
it's a vibration thing. <laughs> okay, because you're mentioning what I use as an example in my chapter in my book. Oh, I, I have I, no excuse but to get to your chapter. I, okay, well, I, I was a I was a captive rape victim for ten months of my senior year of college. Wow. I, I did not finish college because of it. I was I was captive raped, and in that rape, I when I was trapped in my brain and I was remembering it all, I saw these different things that happened. But one of the reasons I got out was the reason my father said I was smart and I thought that was a bad thing. Mm -hmm. To get away from the rapist, I didn't fight. And I always, I always hurt, I was always angry at myself for not fighting. And now I'm a 47, you know, I, well now I'm 53, but back then I was a 46 year old woman complaining that why didn't I fight? Why was I so weak? Why didn't I fight? And when I went through and I was looking and pulling apart that story and doing, no, that couldn't have happened. This is what happened. This is, and I was moving it around. I went, I didn't fight because I would have died. Mm -hmm. I'm five foot nothing. Okay. <laughs> the guy who had me was much larger than me. So logically it makes sense not to fight or I had to find a safer way out. Right. But what my father used to say is that you're smart. You're the smart one. The way I got out was I was, um, I was raped and it was, it was bad. He had seen me talk to somebody and it was bad. And I remember crawling on the ground, crying, God, stop. Why don't you stop him? Why do you hate me so much? Why don't you stop? Him? And then I heard, then I said, what can I do? Mm. And I heard you're smarter than him. And it wasn't until I had reassessed this whole thing that I went, wait a minute. I really did hear a voice tell me I was smarter. And my dad used to always tell me I was smart, that I thought it was a bad thing. Huh? The thing that I thought was bad is what saved my life from what could have killed me. And I'm, and so it rearranged that story. I went, I'm not a victim. I was waiting until the right time so I could get away. And I did. And I'm here to live. I'm here alive to talk about it. And so I became instantly no longer the victim of that story and went, I own this story. I put myself, I mean, I didn't get away because I wanted to live. There was a big thing about me wanting to live. If I didn't want to live and I wanted to stop it, I could have died very easily and got out of it. But living was far more important for me. So yes, you snuck into my story. Yeah, I think you've read it already. You'll, you'll, you'll see. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing. I'm sorry that these terrible things have happened, but I love that, uh, that you've had a positive approach and that you've rewritten the story. I've rewritten it. Absolutely. So on that note, how, how do you see the value of gratitude? Gratitude's in everything. I mean, even in all the trauma I've had in my life, I see gratitude in it. And I know people think I'm nuts for that. But even in the rape, I'm, I'm actually grateful for that because it made me realize that, you know, the world is a scary place and not everybody is your friend. But there are many people who are, and there are people who do care, and there are people who will have your back no matter what. My purpose in that is to find that, find the tribe. Um, with my brain injury, my gratitude is I didn't appreciate what I had. Mm. I thought being smart was, was bad. I'm smart. Really? Who cares? But with my brain injury, I realized my brain was very important to me. And then with my breast cancer, at that point, I'm like, I don't care. I, my brain's important. I don't care about my body. I gained like 180 pounds. I was like 389 pounds uh, when I did my TED Talk. And when I got my brain, when I had my 
breast cancer diagnosis, I realized my brain was great, but in order for my brain to move and help people, my body had to be right too. So that helped me, the gratitude of this is, it helped me realize my body needed to be taken care of. So in each stage of all these traumas that have come through, I've learned a new part of me that needs nurturing mind, body, and soul. So gratitude is in everything, even in the bad things, because what's the best gratitude? When you have nothing and you can still be grateful. Mm, of course. So good. We will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by the newly released book, Dream Life Planner, Move from Tired and Overwhelmed to Free and Empowered by Noelle L. Peterson, available on Amazon, or you can order a personalized signed copy at empower, E-M-P-O-W-E-R, to dream.com. That's empower, number two, dream.com. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. They talk a lot about choosing your niche, finding your audience. Um, and, and you said, you know, speak, 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 and, and, and you'll resonate well with, with, with your people. Um, what other ways can you figure out who your people are? Who, who's your tribe? Your people tell you. <laughs> That's how I found out. I truly thought I, I was speaking for one thing and then people would come up to me afterwards and do, oh my gosh, that, that story was so inspirational and you were so funny. And I said, I'm not funny. They do, oh no, you're funny. I do. <laughs> you know, so I would watch the video, always record yourself. That's the other thing, always record yourself. But your people find you, your tribe tells you what they want out of you. So if you listen to the feedback after you speak, they will be telling you exactly what they want from you. My, my theme, uh, be unapologetic, that didn't come out of me. That came out of other people. They're like, wow, you just own that stage. Oh, when you come in that room, even with all those things that have happened to you, you own the room. I would never imagine anything happened, anything bad ever happened to you. you you're just so unapologetic about life. And I went, hmm. And now it's my, it's everything I do. It's who I am. So listen to the people who listen to you. Listen to every bit of feedback that you get. Start gathering all their little their feedbacks and save them on a spreadsheet. And you'll start seeing, start highlighting words that are common. That is what your message is. That's who you are. That's what your people see. Hmm. So good. All right. I want to twist it up a little bit. We're going to okay. take it over to the other side. What, uh, what do you and your family love to do in your free time? And you can share whatever you want about your family if you choose to. Well, I'm usually going Mach 20. And my poor no, husband. Really? <laughs> my husband's usually holding onto my coattails, you know, doing slow down, Michelle. So what we do, what my family does is we like to be alone. So we have a cabin in Westcliff where there's only puzzles and books. We have lights and electricity, but we have no radio, no internet, no TV, nothing. So we go out there to the woods and we play puzzles and read books. That's what we like to do. And then we get a little short road trip on the way there through the mountains because we also like road trips. Nice. Mm -hmm. Love road trips. <laughs> That's awesome. So obviously memory is an issue. So this one might be a really tough one. So what's your most memorable date? My most memorable date? Yes. It's a terrible date to remember, actually. <laughs> well, you can you can remember. I mean, date like date with your husband. Oh, date with my husband. Jeez, there's too many of those. We've been together for thirty, well, actually forty eight years. 
40. Wow. Yeah, we've been together. Yeah, so we've been oof, 38. 48 years. You're only 53. Wait, 38. Yeah, we met at 14. I was 14. So it's 38 years we've been together. Wow. Yeah, so most memorable date. That's kind of difficult. It's actually kind of funny, though. Okay, our most memorable date is the night that he proposed to me. We were at uh, Seattle Space Needle. And if you've ever been to the Space Needle, if you've not, it's a restaurant at the top of a point. It looks like a spaceship and it spins while you're in it very slowly. It does make you sick. And um, yeah, <laughs> from the bottom, it looks like it's moving really fast, but when you're in it, you don't feel it. And uh, I ordered salmon and he ordered prime rib. I always order salmon. Okay. Just side note. I always order salmon. Well, He's, we're on this lovely date. We're not engaged. I, I, I'm suspecting he's going to propose to me. And uh, we're eating this our food. And I went, oh, my goodness, Michael, you have to try this rice pilaf. And so he reaches over. He takes his fork and he puts it into the rice pilaf in his plate. And he pops it into his mouth. And then his eyes turn red. And he starts crying. And he's choking. And he drinks my wine, then the craft of wine. Then he goes into <laughs> drinking all the water. On his plate, it was not rice pilaf. His plate was raw horseradish. <laughs> so the night he was supposed to suppo propose to me, it was ruined because I had him eat the rice pilaf. <laughs> so that is the most memorable date. The night that I stopped him from proposing to me because That's he was choking. Very good. All right. So now you got to tell us how he proposed later. <laughs> Dying in the hospital from horseradish poison. <laughs> He proposed oh. on the phone. Oh, no. Because <laughs> I lived in Omaha and he lived in Seattle. Okay. So when I went home, he said, we're on the call. I think he was in Saudi. And I said, you know, I'm dating this guy and I think he's going to propose. I think I'm going to say yes. And he said, what? I said, well, he's. I'm pretty sure he's going to propose. His mom told me he was going to propose. He goes, wait, you can't marry somebody else. And I said, who else am I going to marry? He goes, me, me, marry me. <laughs> I said, what? Marry me. I do. Are you proposing? Is yes. Don't say yes to him. Yeah. He proposed on the phone. <laughs> Out of desperation. Wait, <laughs> I can't lose you. Oh. He missed out on the fancy romantic date. So he had to scream it on the phone. I didn't know. I figured, well, maybe I read that wrong. Maybe he doesn't want to propose to me. So I was going to say yes to some other guy. Wow. <laughs> Oh, very good. <laughs> poor Michael. I know, the poor guy. Just give him some water skis or snow skis so he can keep up with you. Just <laughs> hold on to those hold on to those coattails and go. Poor guy. Thank goodness he's organized because I'm not. So he keeps me very organized. I my uh my partner is very much the same. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so she's uh she's she's definitely the one that keeps everything in the right places. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Michael's my spreadsheet man. I have no, I said, how many books have I been? And he has, you've been in 17 books. You've been, and he's given me a number. I'm like, I know a couple. He has, no, no, no. I've got, here's your spreadsheet. He shows me a spreadsheet. I'm like, wow, I've been busy. <laughs> you are busy. <laughs> I'm taking the next one. You, you did two book lunches in like a week. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and there's another one coming out in two weeks. Oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've been in one, so I, I've at least gotten started. 
I know a great publisher. I'll hook you up. <laughs> I know you do. You're publishing. You're probably his best promoter. I am. <laughs> <laughs> writing, writing books like, like crazy. <laughs> yeah. He's like, uh, you're not losing me. Just FYI. <laughs> <laughs> he's hanging on to the other coattail. <laughs> Michael on one, him on the other. I love it. <laughs> oh gosh. So, so what have mentors meant on your journey? For your growth? Mentors? Mm. I have 15 billion of them. Um, I have mentors for every aspect of everything I do. And what's beautiful about that is, you know, people say, oh, I have a mentor. I do. No, you have multiple aspects in your life. I have a mentor even for my karaoke singing. Okay. I mean, I've got mentors for everything, <laughs> mindset, leadership, marketing, um, anything that deals with the computer. Mentors are huge because they can see things that we don't see. So they're different from coaches. These are the people who've been there, done that, got the t-shirt and they're several you know, mile markers ahead of you. And I've just been introduced to two more people who are going to be new mentors in my life. And it's just, you always want to be able to chase behind somebody, you know, watch what they're doing and learn what they're doing and then take your own aspect, you know, take the veer and do your own thing with that. And that's where I am right now. I really do have about 12 mentors oh, and, I'm sure, and I'm sure I'm mentoring other people and I just don't know it yet, but it's important to have mentors in your life because they can give you warnings or you can just keep running and they can help you veer when you need to veer, hmm. especially like with me. I mean, like I told you, I move at Mach 20. I have a lot of mentors to keep eyes out on me and doing, oh, watch it. You're going into a flame. Oh, she went through it. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, mentors are huge. huge. Well, well, how would you suggest somebody finding a mentor? They're all around you. So whenever you meet someone that's you admire for whatever they're doing, I tend to go to people and say, you know what? I really like what you're doing here. Um, and I appreciate that you take the time out to speak to me. I need you in my world. So I go to people and say, please mentor me. <laughs> I need you. I do it because... From whatever aspect you are, whatever point of view you're at, you see where your next thing is, where your next goal is. And you see the people in that sphere. Go to them. Because just like you, if someone came up to you, right, Robert, and said, you know, I really like what you're doing. How, how did you get there? You wouldn't say, go away, kid. <laughs> no, I would love to help you. I would love to. I would guide you. And, and that's what happens is you start getting guided. And some of them, I, you know, I pay good money to follow them around just so I can be rubbing elbows around them because then I meet more people and then I learn more things. So yes, sometimes you have to pay for being a mentor, uh, being menteed, but oftentimes it's being in their world and watching them is what the biggest payoff is. Hmm. So good. So what inspires Michelle? It sounds really generic. People. Hmm. I, I see potential in everyone I see. I, I, my husband laughs when I say that because he says, there's a commercial for Geico with a Pinocchio. He says, you've got potential. You've got potential. And their nose, his nose is growing. No, I really do see potential in everyone I meet. I, I, I hear them and I do, oh, if you could just be tweaked right here and believe in yourself right here, you would explode into what you want. And mm -hmm. so... What inspires me is seeing the light in the other people that I meet. 
and just seeing when the light comes on, when they hear me speak, and I know I made a difference in their world. That's what inspires me. Hmm. People. That's so good. I love that Pinocchio commercial, by the way. And I agree with you that everyone in the room has potential. And, and, and obviously the speaker on that stage, you know, had no idea how to, how to draw that potential out in them and encourage them. And, and I know that that's what you and I have chosen as our vocation is to, to grab the people. And, and, and I'm heartbroken to see so many people, you know, allowing their potential to just fade away. And, and here in Denver, and I know there in the Springs, we see more and more just sleeping on the side of the road and, and people that have lost hope and, and given up entirely. Um, and, and we live in the greatest country in the world that, that offers this dream if you choose to follow it and you choose to believe in it. But first, you have to believe in yourself. And, and I know that a lot of these people just haven't had somebody to believe in them and, and they've given up. And yeah. so... How do you help people believe in themselves? How do you grab that little string of potential and pull it out of them? I love them. Mm. <laughs> it's really, I mean, I, I do a lot of work in the homeless shelters and things like that. And people sometimes just want someone to listen, hmm. just hear them. And that's love. So I'll go in there and I'll, I'll hang out and you know have lunch and just kind of hang out and just listen. And sometimes they'll just do, thank you. And you can see it in their eyes that someone recognizes them as a human. Hmm. Yes, you are. Why would you ever think not? You know, so it's, I love people. And that's how I show that light by being a light. Hmm. So good. So good. All we have to do is listen. If we could all just turn on listening and turn off speaking, so many more people would 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 experience joy and and find um, hope. So mm -hmm. I love that. Well, and people laugh at me because they say you keep saying listening is the most important thing, but you speak all the time. I say <laughs> yes. On stage, I'm on. In coaching, I'm on. But when I'm in listening mode, if you see me in a big group, I'm usually sitting in the back of the room, not talking to anybody. I don't say anything. It's because I'm listening. Listening is very important. Mm, absolutely. So obviously you mentioned helping homeless shelters, other things. What other ways has contribution been a part of your journey? Wow. That's a lot. I'm always giving time. Yes. People think I'm really busy, but I always do find time to give. <laughs> and actually you were at my hundred author event. And what I did there is one of the things I do on my side free time is I lend my voice to children's books and I read children's books for um, imagination video books. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing I do. So I do work in the homeless shelters. I, I volunteer at women's shelters, especially since of my, my background and what I've gone through when I was younger, but the imagination video books, I love reading stories to children because I know how powerful hearing stories were for me. It's created this woman that I am today because I understand the power of story. And when Richard Ryman told me I'm creating these video books for children who have no sight or are sight impaired, I went, they're children who don't, can't hear a book or read a book. And he's like, no, mm -hmm. I'm like, 
oh, I, I, I've got to be part of that. So that's another thing I do is I like to give back in all the different ways I possibly can. And those are definitely two, three ways I do. So good. <laughs> I love that, you know, obviously finding, you know, places where your heart is, you know, connected and, and serving people. Um, obviously you're very passionate and yes. <laughs> it, it, it oozes out of you, but how do you help, how do you help people find their passion and, and their purpose, right? Because once they've lost hope, they feel like they've lost they've lost a purpose or, or they, or they've never had a purpose in the first place, mm -hmm. right? No one's ever told them that, that they had a purpose. Um, how would you help somebody pull that purpose out? That's actually what I do a lot of with my mm -hmm. uh, consultations. I have like 15 minute consults and I say, find your why. And people get on a 15 minute call with me and I say, tell me about yourself. What do you love to do? And they'd start talking. And within eight, after, as soon as they talk, so eight minutes total, I say, well, this is your passion right here. Da 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 da. And they do what? Stop! Record that. Um, what did you just say? It comes back to the other thing, listening. I help people find their passion by listening to the words they use when they explain what they like to do. There are words they'll say like, oh. So where do you go on vacation? And they do, oh, my family and I, we go to Disney World and we hang out on the beach. And, you know, we like to play. So they're saying family, play, outdoors, you know, that kind of thing. Then you have someone like me. What do you do when you're relaxing when you want to go out with your family? Secluded books. My passion is knowledge. So, I mean, so you, you can do the same thing with other people. And that's what I do. I listen and I listen for the words they use. And then I turn those words right back at them. They've told me what their passion was. I just condensed it and sent it back to them. They do, you're magical. I don't, actually, I'm repeating what you just said. You know what? You just don't allow yourself to hear it. That's what mentors are for. That's what coaches are for. Hmm. Absolutely. So what's Michelle's big dream? <laughs> I have two, actually. Um, <clears throat> I want to sing on Broadway. I really want to sing on Broadway, but to sing on Broadway, I'm probably going to have to be the Blasian Oprah first. So my big dream is I am the new Oprah. I will be Michelle with my talk show, having people come on just like on the podcast. I have my mental shift show in the Philippines. I want a stage with a big red couch where people come and we sit and we talk about, you know, their mental shifts in their lives. And when they thought they were broken, when actually they're being planted to be something bigger, you know? That's what I want. I have a show in my head. I also have a, a movie screenplay in my head of my life journey. And then I see me singing on Broadway. Mm, so good. So I'm going to just have to make a suggestion that we're going to have to step up the karaoke game and go straight to the singing game. <laughs> uh, I love it. That's that's so fantastic. I've had a couple of people request for me to join their band while I'm singing the karaoke. Like, uh, you, you're not a karaoke singer. You should join our band. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> now, now I'm just picturing um, uh, John Candy in the back of the moving band with the polka <laughs> singers, and Michelle just jumps in there because. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh. Uh, I love it. That's fantastic. I'm a jazz singer. I'm a Natalie Cole singer. I do those kind of things. Ah, even better. And of course, of course you do. 
<laughs> that's that's awesome. Um, so obviously, you you've had you know. Obviously, all of us have had ups and downs, and you've had you've had extreme ups and downs, <laughs> and and I'm so glad that that Michael has has been a great partner through through all of that. And, patient, uh, patient partner. <laughs> <laughs> so so, what are the challenges of of, of maintaining a marriage, mean, raising a family, and and doing your own doing your own business? The challenge is forgetting you have a family. When you're moving so fast, it's like, oh, I'm going here. I'm going to fly here. I'm going to go here. I'm going to do this. And you're going from place. And that's what happens with me. If I fly somewhere, someone says, oh, why don't you come out to St. Louis and speak at my event? Okay, I'll jump on an airplane and I'll go to the next place. And my husband will say, um, are you coming home? <laughs> and I'll be, oh, I forgot. I'm so sorry. And so what we've done is... I have, we have an agreement. I have to let him know where I'm going and for how long before I agree to go to said place. Because I get, I get excited. Yeah, I get excited and I go. Uh, when I went to India, I was gone for three months to India. Uh, no, three weeks in India. And at the end of that India trip, someone asked me to go to Dublin, Ireland for another two weeks. Well, I didn't have a phone, so I said yes. I didn't get to write my husband. So I said, yes, I went to Ireland. And when I got signal again, I wrote him and said, oh, by the way, I'm in Ireland. <laughs> so the biggest challenge of keeping a marriage that's this long is you have to have open communication. And there has to be a leniency of realizing one of us is a spaz and moves very quickly. And the other one is a planner and needs to be planning. So when I get spazzy, I have to think in my head, what would Michael need to feel safe? <laughs> Michael, this is what's happening and this is what's going to happen in the next two weeks. So I connected him to my calendar so he knows when I put things in my calendar, it pops up on his calendar. So he goes, okay, Michelle's going to be leaving me in about three weeks. <laughs> and then the other way happens where he says, okay, Michelle's going at 95 miles an hour. I can see her getting sick. She's getting tired. Michelle, let's go to the cabin for the weekend. You, you, let's, let's just have us, an us time. And I'll do... I don't argue it. I just do. Oh, because he sees something I don't see. Oh, okay. So it's come to a balance of he knows me and I know him. And that's how we work. I have to remember I'm not a speeding jet all by myself and that there are people being left in awake. So I need to slow down every once in a while. And he realizes that I must speed the way I do or I get lost. I don't think slow. I think very quickly. So he keeps me guided so I don't get lost in the ether. Hmm. Yeah, it's so a great good. balance. So good. Well, props props to Michael for hanging on. Well, <laughs> bonus, he loves me, so and I love him, so it's a bonus. <laughs> that that's uh that's usually the root. If yeah, that... <laughs> we tolerate a lot more because we love each other. I I understand. I've been with my wife for 30 years, and so she, she's very patient as well. <laughs> so, so it's it's awesome to be able to have a partner in this world that that loves the adventure and and loves the we our our, our similarities cross the things we enjoy you know yes. cross and meet and and we fuel each other and so that's yeah. that's awesome it's like it's the perfect yin and yang but we connect at certain things it's like oh it's perfect absolutely so 
young entrepreneur sitting across from you. You've just helped them write their book. Um, they're speaking on stages. They're doing all the things you, that you've told them to do, but you want to give them the, like, this might be the last thing Michelle ever says to them. Michelle's words of wisdom. What would you share? My words of wisdom. Oh, I actually wrote it in my book. Don't be afraid of change. Walk towards your fear. And in my book, I put a, a quote that change is an emotional journey. It's not easy. It's not rainbows and butterflies in the fields of daisies. It's hard. It hurts. But the magic is, the beauty is, what comes out on the other side of it. So when I no longer talk to you, if you're going off on your own, remember, if you fear it, it's because you want it bad enough that you don't want to fail. Walk towards it. And I promise you, doors will open. Walk. Hmm. So good. Thank you so much, Michelle, for your time today, for your wisdom and your spirit. And uh, just very much appreciate the conversation. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad we finally met. <laughs> well, like this, we finally yeah. met. If you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, or leave a review. We have a free gift for you at addvaluemindset.com. That's addvaluemindset.com. We've collected some of the best mindset secrets shared by successful entrepreneurs on our podcast, and we want to give them to you for free. addvaluemindset.com. In our next episode, Billy Kills and Robert talk about his journey, which includes tons of travel and culture, working with elite Fortune 50 company leaders. While he learned languages and cultures, he hadn't learned about money, even though he was making a bunch of it. He committed himself to learn about money, and now he wants to talk about money to help others learn. We definitely need to make it okay to talk about money.